When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, back. We're back. Back in black. You know that beautiful Seiko Saber that you've been riding for the last couple of years? Hell yeah. I love that board. It's my go-to. They've got those things available right now yeah. at realwatersports.com. Oh my God. You'd be a fool not to buy one of those. More evidence, more evidence of uh, Real Water Sports working with some of the best of the best, but a lot of smaller production shapers too not just the big brands yeah we're well ryan's shaped for some of the greatest labels in the world town and country a bunch of others and um god knows what he's doing he's a great surfer too i grew up riding his trade-ins at his dad's shop on main street (laughs) hand-me-downs from ryan sakel you'd go in there and there'd be all these you know, used shortboards on the rack for 150 bucks or something, which was the right price for a young David Scales. And uh, he still had all his sponsors' logos on him, so I'd have to peel those stickers off. But oh, you didn't want to like sport the sport the. I was fully narcissistic and 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 uh, what's the word? I was myopic enough to like buy boards that had trade in boards that had sponsor logos on them and rock the beach like i was sponsored don't put it past me bro yeah but the problem is in huntington everybody knows whose board that was so there was no fooling anybody they would just point and laugh (laughs) that's kind of what they did to me there was no fooling it i thought i was fooling everyone but they're like dude nice that's doug silva's board get the fuck out of here exactly exactly um well realwatersports.com of course and uh NVS fins too. What and what set of NVS do you rock in your saber? Um, uh, shoot, the C drives. I thought the, so. Yeah, yeah, the, the C drive twins. Oh my god, yeah, those are the ones. Perfect. Well, you can get the NVS fins while you're at RealWaterSports.com, or you can grab them at SurfNVS.com uh, because they are a great sponsor as well, longtime sponsor of Spit. So uh, yeah, thanks for all the support. Go check them out. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Yeah, guy. And I've got some good news, David Lee Scales. We've got more backup from different people around the world confirming that it's probably Jimmy Bear that invented the yeah, guy phrase. If you had to make a list, you know, like he's he's in the top two. And this feedback's coming in from around the world? Around the world. Holy cow. Jimmy, Jimmy Bear is famous. Oh, for sure. You should see the guy breakdance. <laughs> we've got a supporting cast of characters here who rare never make it on air i guess shukin's made it on air rainbow's made it on air but i feel like jimmy jimmy bear is going to be the next he's a great guy super classic 
Um, another follow-up from last week is we gave away a um, album free wing and one Colin Murphy won the board longtime listener to the show Colin Murphy yeah that's so cool I'm stoked for Colin and um, and uh, you know some of the banter on Instagram was pretty fun and seems like he's got some good buddies that were that were uh, needling him a little bit it was all good yeah and Colin um, like I said longtime listener I we're willing to ship these boards or have local you know, if you're in Australia, we could have Album Australia fulfill it. It just turns out that Colin is in Orange County. So he's going to drive down to Album on Saturday and pick up. There's three options uh, that'll fit him in terms of the normal dimensions that he rides that Album has in stock. So he's going to pick up all three, fondle them and decide which one he wants best. So congrats, cool. Colin. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And we've got a Pizel, uh Shadow that John John Florence himself wrote. This is a custom made for John John. John wrote it and then traded it back in. And uh, so it's John John's personal board signed by him as well that we're giving away on August 1st. So the hits keep coming. Yeah, great work. And um, look, just be a subscriber and you're entered to win. And now for this month, wow, look out. We got a Pizel Shadow and uh, John John's personal board. Are you kidding me? You know how bad I want to ride something that's like probably thinner than two and a half and probably <laughs> like 18 and three quarters inches wide. <laughs> well, this ties in beautifully as a segue for a conversation about um, the vintage surfboard market. Scott, you have advised me to invest in cryptocurrency and now I am quietly cursing you. Uh, I may thank you later, but for now I'm cursing you. <laughs> I apologize. Um, stab mag stab magazines neil armstrong um probably different than the neil armstrong astronaut but uh he wrote a piece about vintage surfboard auctions with the opening salvo quote sports memorabilia market is outperforming the s&p 500 uh that was from a forbes article so did you read this piece scott no i haven't read it Okay. Well, what is the best way? What do you recommend is the best way to pick investments, whether they be surfboards or financial investments otherwise? Well, surfboards are a little bit different than most things, but, um, you know, surfboards are kind of like art in a weird way because, you know, like, you know, you can invest in the, the really famous artists and do pretty well by, by yourself. And the same can be said with surfboards. Like, you know, you can invest in like the Knowles, the Pat Currens, the Jerry Lopez's, the George Greenos, the Mike Diffendurfers, the Jacobs, the Velzi, you know, like we all know all the names of Bob Simmons. You know, there's a lot, there's a good 20, 25 solid, um, you know, brands, older brands that if you find a prime pristine board, that's, that's, you know, one of those brands, then that's a pretty good buy. I mean, that's a good place to start. Okay. Well, would you like to hear your own advice from this article that you didn't read? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's hear what I had to say. Um, it does not conflict with what you just said at all, but it said uh, Scott Bass, producer of California's boardroom show and the organizer of the California gold surf auctions admits that uh, the whole space kind of hinges on emotion Many people, quote, many people in this space, myself included, are buying boards that they have an emotional appeal to. 
uh, I'm going to buy a Simon Anderson thruster because that's what I was into when I was 18. So my advice to first time collectors would be to buy what you love, end quote. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the case, you know, because guess what? I'm not the only one that was into Simon Anderson thrusters. Right away, if you could get your hands on an original Simon Anderson thruster, buy it right away because that thing's worth some dough. Well, I like the advice. Like, it's hard to even think about surfboards as investments. Um, And they kind of go through some of the results of recent auctions. And they do prove to be decent investments. But, you know, I think the advice that you gave to buy what you love is actually great advice because if it ends up becoming a losing, financial proposition, your heart is still in it. You know what I mean? You're not doing it for the financial aspect of it. You're doing it because you love it. If there happens to be financial upside, fantastic. But it's hard for me to even think of surfboards as a commodity. You know, I just think of them as a functional something. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I look, I, I've, I'm kind of pulling into this article just now. And as I recall, um, they are just commodities, and 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 I mean, from a from a an investment standpoint, and really, I don't even know if this guy wrote this in this article. But my main one of my main things was, hey man, you should. It's good to d- diversify. Buy a little crypto. Buy a little art. Buy a little surfboards. Buy some real estate. Buy some bonds. Buy some stocks. Keep some cash. You know, like, and and so I'm not saying like you know, put your IRA into surfboards. I'm saying you know what, two percent. You know, like allocate 2% to surfboards or whatever it is, you know, just a small little thing and have fun with it. Don't expect to get rich. It's, it's more like, and again, that's where the emotion comes in. You know, like if you walked yeah. into my living room right now, you'd see four really beautiful surfboards, you know, hanging on the wall and, and people walk in and they're like, wow, that's really cool. You know, like people are drawn to these things. Surfboards, they're the philosophical icon of enduring youth. You know what I'm saying? Like it makes you feel young again. That's why I've been buying so many lately because <laughs> I'm getting old. That was the closing quote for the article, by the way. Mm-hmm. And it's a good one. I was going to close this segment with it and I still will. Um, what are the four boards in your living room? Uh, I'd rather not say, to be honest with you. I don't, <laughs> I don't need people coming into my house and stealing my shit. Well, it is a recurring thing that comes up all of the time with listener feedback that they want to hear more about your quiver. Okay. Well, look, um, I'll, t- I'll just tell you right now that what I have, it's not that big a deal. I have one wall and on it is an Al Merrick Kelly Slater model. The other is a Jerry Lopez lightning bolt pipeliner. And the other is a Simon Anderson thruster. So those kind of run like my decades, you know, like that's yeah. my, that's my life as a surfer, you know, the single fin pipeliner, the, the thruster and the Al Merrick, uh, modern Kelly Slater, you know, not modern. It's probably from like 92. It's actually kind of like all, you know, rockered out and sexy. Yeah. And, and then I have, a, um, in the same living room, I have a, um, a kook box, you know, a, a lifeguard board from, you know, the thirties. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a buddy who just, um, sold a old hot rod at auction and his dad was really into collecting cars and um, collected, like was wealthy. So was able to kind of collect some expensive stuff and stuff that's aged uh, really beautifully and gone through the roof in the collector's market and the auction market. But my buddy inherited a few of them. 
And so my buddy doesn't really have an interest in cars and he sold, he sold one recently and he made a killing on it. But he said that his dad's philosophy was the same. He never once thought that he would make a dime on any of the cars. He never planned to sell any of the cars. He just loved cars and the market did its thing in the background. But when you're collecting those things that you love, especially the examples you just gave that are in your living room that are tied to your own personal experience and your friends and people in your industry, then you can't go wrong. doesn't matter what the market does, you know? Yeah, it's, it's true. You know, um, I think that's just really good advice. You know, just if you love it, you know, surround yourself with it and, and it'll make you feel good. Yeah. What was interesting in the article, um, you might've brought up this example. It was the Tommy Curran's uh, fireball fish from Matt Moore. And you guys thought that it was going to go for somewhere between four and 6,000 bucks. And it only, and it sold for 3,700. This was an example of something that was expected to go higher and sold lower. And I think of that board as being so influential for so many people. First of all, you got to understand that's not the original fireball fish that he wrote at Bawa. And it said, oh, as, okay. and it said as much in the auction catalog. So this story is a little bit off. Got he it, actually got had it, got the original it. Tommy Peterson 511 fireball fish. It would be worth way more than six grand. This one was one that Matt Moore made for Tom for that trip. And it was one of the boards Tom didn't pick up and take. And, got it. And to be frank, our pre-auction estimate was between four and six thousand dollars. It went for thirty-seven hundred. That's pretty close to the to the yeah. low end. You know, so it's it's not like it didn't go for the amount we expected it to go for. It was right there. Yeah, that that makes much more sense to me because I was going to say that board, the Tommy Peterson one, was so influential, uh, not only for surfers but for surfboards and surfboard kind of um, trends that still exists today. So um, that makes sense. But anyways, it was a great article. You contributed a lot to it. And uh, so definitely go check that out. I was thinking, how cool would it be if Super Dave ended up on the market? <laughs> Super Dave, that like, that skimboard that he rides? Yeah. Tom Curran rides? Yeah, the skimboard yeah. with the big fins and the uh, foam taped to the deck or glued to the deck. You know what? Tom Curran stuff sells good. I mean, look, for sure. Tom's the goat in many people's eyes, you know, like even though competitively he doesn't come close to, to Kelly and frankly, a few other guys, but as you and I've have pointed out many times, Tom Curran did something that was incredible and that's surf through the trials in every single event to win the world title. Yeah. That's something Kelly Slater's never done. Yeah. And we'll never, and it's just, the, the format's just not set up that way. It's not that Kelly couldn't do it. I mean, I wouldn't, nobody would suggest to you that Kelly's not good enough or has the competitive prowess to not do that. I would be a, I, if I was betting, I would put money on Kelly to do something like that. But the bottom line is it hasn't happened. And back then, I think that was like 91 or 92, Tom had the same power over the competitive arena that Kelly had in say 2002. You know, yeah. where, or even like 98 when Kelly was really just like unstoppable. So unstoppable, he was bored. He's like, I'm out of here. This is stupid. Um, and Tom had that, you know, in 92 or whatever it was. Like he, he was just, you know, the judges were just like, this is the mark. Good luck getting there. You know what I mean? Totally. No one really could. I mean, a few guys had their moments, but for the most part, current surfing through the trials is pretty incredible to be a world title, to, to win the world title. Um, 
this is tangential to the conversation about auctions, but did you see Dior, Christian Dior, just put a new surfboard on the market? Oh, is it like 30 grand or something? 10. And it's like super shiny and black with gold Dior or something like that. Like I've seen that, these boards. Like Yves Saint Laurent did that, I think. Yeah, I think that one might have been Chanel, but you're right. There was an Yves Saint Laurent one. Um, but listen, this is from their website. This is kind of the bulkiest single fin. I don't know whose design this is or who shaped it. <laughs> it looks like it was built in a factory in um, in France because they do interview uh, some people there that are laminating it, but I couldn't identify who it was or what factory it was. But they said the Dior Mason surfboard, uh, the Dior Mason surfboard is composed of polyester, polyurethane foam, fiberglass, polyethylene, and three-ply lime wood. After it was molded, shaped, and sanded into a perfect shape, it got its application of the house trademark tool, which is this um, cloth fabric, like a certain design on the fabric that they laminate into it. It was then polished smooth. You'll spot the eye-catching motif on one side of the board and the classic Dior logo on the other side. A special travel bag comes with the board, and that has a two-hand strap option, making toting it easy, making it toting it back and forth to the beach a breeze. So for the 10K, you also get the board bag. For toting. Everyone needs toting. a toting, a toting bag. <laughs> um, uh, that sounds like something so. I would write. It was so hideous like i like it when they say and it's polished smooth yeah no kidding how, how else would you polish it i know it's <laughs> hilarious um yeah. it's funny to see these things pop up but uh yeah anyways we've got that piezel which cool. could end up being in an auction market a decade or two down the road oh there's no doubt a john john florence board and i know there's a lot of them out there but like if you can get one that's that we know he won the world title on or he won oh, whatever yeah. pipe or whatever you know like and and the thing is, the guy who's sitting on a lot of those is John Pizel himself, because John yeah. Florence just trades them in. Yeah, like he might course. give one to like Bob Hurley or something like that. Or, but those boards are out there, and um, and they're cool. You know, like like it's it's really a cool thing. I think. Yeah. Um, any official California Gold Surf Auction business that you want to hit on before we move on? Uh, well, yeah, I'll just tell you right now that. We're, we got an auction in October, the 1st through the 15th. And man, do I have some ridiculous board, like such sick boards, like Diffender for Balsa guns from the 70s, two Pat Currens. I've got two Pat Currens, which was wow. like the holy grail of all holy grails in many people's eyes. Um, I've got David Nueva nose riders from Bing. Um, I've got um, like seven insane lightning bolts i've got two lopez's a parish a barry kanaya puni um uh a couple of other legendary a reno you know um i've got a sean thompson board from spider murphy a mark richards twin fin um it's just a bunch of cool stuff gns a shane Haran gns like some cool stuff so I'm super excited about it, man. Like some of the boards, are, I mean, like this article is talking about high-end boards and this auction is going to have some high-end boards, easily like $25,000, $30,000 boards. Wow. Yeah. This, this is like, if you're a serious collector, these boards are going to be boards that you can 
like that's like a foundational stone to your collection you know what i mean just like it's incredible board how do people get in oh it's easy you just log on register and um and start bidding and then um you know highest bidder wins um look we're like three months out so i'm still in the uh building out the catalog i won't start marketing it until september got it do you want to mention the website now uh, yeah, California Gold Surf Auctions.com, California Gold Surf Auctions. Boom.com or California Gold Surf Auction.com. That'll probably get you there too. Um, well, moving on, the ongoing storyline of CT surfers who are opting out of mediocre surf in events, citing injury, and then going and getting barreled <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> going and getting barreled out of their mind elsewhere. We've got Caroline Marks who just dropped an edit, but more importantly, I think uh, more impressively, Kelly Slater at Can Dewey this week. Holy guacamole, dude. That whole, that whole Indian ocean was just on fire. And I mean, that was a massive swell. And if you were there, you absolutely scored. And it was, it was, uh, I've surfed Can Dewey left and it is, um, it is a mean wave. Like it's, It'll kick your Tell ass. Me. And it gets gnarlier and gnarlier. It's it. kind of like cloud breaking that way. Like the longer you ride it, the, the more dangerous it gets. You know what I mean? It's just this fast, shallow left that just keeps throwing and heaving these sections at you. And I'm, I'm talking like, you know, 10-yard sections, like big sections that you have. Luckily, it's so hollow. There's only one place to be, and that's in the tube. Like if you find yourself in the flats, you're as good as toast. Um that's the good side of it, but you have to drive through this barrel. You have to, you can't just set a line and stand there. You have to maneuver inside the tube to make this wave. And, um, and man, the good, the good surfers do it. And Kelly's one of them. And he certainly scored And all those guys, I guess the Ritz Aaron, Aaron, how do you say his last name? Aaron Buru. Aaron Buru. Um, and a bunch of guys, uh, you gotta be a, a world-class surfer to ride that wave. It takes balls to paddle into it. Did you see the, uh, coverage that Surfline did? Yeah, I did. I've been watching a lot of that stuff. So Nick Carroll did a fantastic job reporting on the swell um, for Surfline. He said that the swell hit like Ernest Hemingway's famous description of bankruptcy, gradually, then suddenly, then erratically. Um, <laughs> first light clean and filling in, then an hour later, it was fully onshore. So it was kind of like, oh no, it looks like it's going to be terrible, even though there's tons of swell. Um, so they went and checked bank faults and it was crazy energy, but messy. Then they got the call back from Kandui resort saying the left is absolutely firing. This was on Saturday, uh, perfect conditions, tide dropping fast, long, long periods, sucking all the water off the reef as scary as it gets. And then Sunday was the day. So Saturday, a couple of guys, Eritz made it out there. Seems like Kelly pulled up anchor wherever he was and then showed up on uh, Sunday. And yeah, the kind of some of the imagery does a really good job at showing how scary it is. Oftentimes the imagery just makes it look idyllic and you think people are just getting barreled and it's easy. But some of it was showing that almost um, below sea level like you're saying, you have the only place to be is in the barrel. Cause if you're out in the flats, you're toast. Well, out in the flats, it's showing it gurgling off the reef right there. It's like, there's almost no water once it yeah. sucks into the wave. Yeah. And cause again, they said it was low tide, uh, particularly low tide, but 
it truly does look like the kind of scariest, sketchiest wave in Indo. And it makes me really consider that this is a harbinger of what's to come for Kelly because he's one of the very few surfers. You said there was a bunch of guys out there. He's one of the few surfers on the planet who can really do it justice, do that wave justice and get properly barreled through. I mean, hit that backhand, no hander that he's just like bobbing and weaving through without holding onto the rail. One of very few people who can do that as opposed to what they're doing at in the CT at G-Land, at El Salvador, there's literally dozens and dozens and dozens of surfers who can be, who are talented enough to make the quarterfinals in those conditions at those waves. You know what I mean? So there's no point for Kelly to be there. Unless G-Land was absolutely pumping, then Kelly'd be the guy, of course. But it's like seeing Kelly be there for that moment, pull up anchor the day before, be there right on time Sunday when it turns on. I mean, that's what he wants to do. That's what we want to see him do. And yeah. he's one of the only guys on the planet who can do it. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, Kelly won the heat, you know, and I don't know. I'm sure there were some other guys that were surfing really great, but yeah, look, you nailed it. Um, Kelly has the ability to be wherever he wants to be when the surf's pumping and, um, you know, injury be damned. <laughs> he's out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the storyline, right? Or the funny part of the storyline is like, hmm. He's supposedly injured. And yet that was one of the best waves I've seen him get in years. I'm sure it's, it's just a mat. It's gotta be just a matter of time before somebody goes, why, why don't we have 10 people, uh, 12 people in a contest, wherever the waves are pumping. It seems to be pumping where, and we'll just go wherever the WSL isn't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even the, like, I don't, the WSL is low hanging fruit. I'm not here to beat up the WSL here. Um, you know, but <clears throat> They're just too, they're not, they're not nimble enough to be able to pull this off the way it needs to be pulled off. And I think it's not their objective either. I think you can have six or seven or eight events in world-class waves with uh, eight to 12 guys, uh, you know, the world's best surfers or, or however you want to phrase it. Um, Maybe it's not CT guys, maybe it's whoever, but you know, who would be ripping out there? Clay Marzo. Clay Marzo would be handing uh, Kelly Slater a tough heat. And there's a bunch of other guys too. I mean, there's a handful of red hot guys that, that, you know, there's underground guys that just surf mentalized that no one even knows about that are insane. Like when it's legit can do left, look, there's only one thing to do and that's drive through the barrel. Yeah. There's guys well, that can do it and have the balls well, to like go deeper. Cause that wave, it's just a matter of how much you want to chew off. Like it, exactly. it peels from like 300 yards up the point from where they're taking off. Well, I'll just reveal now rather than waiting till the end of the show, but Eretz Aaron Buru is my Duke this week because of exactly that. I mean, he's a guy whose name, if you never mention it again, I would never have thought of it again, but then you see him out there and you're like, man, that guy is legitimately one of the best two riders in the world. And the fact that he's still out there chasing it and doing it at that level, I'd say his wave even was better than Kelly's. Kelly's was so impressive because it was no grab, but Eretz's was just longer. And it was section after section that he really had to like take a crazy line through. And he just did it, you know, committed to it and just charged that thing. So it was so sick. Well, it's a great Duke. And, you know, I think it was you and I a couple of years ago talking about Eretz's maybe being sort of underground, the most tubed surfer of the, of the, 2000s like he just yeah. shows up where there's barrels yeah you know, and it could be like 
you know, Western Sahara African right-handers that no one's ever been to. And he's just driving through drainers by himself or, yep. he's, you know, in the French beach breaks or wherever he is, Munaka. that guy just finds tunes, you know? And, um, and there's like, I mean, just off the, you know, who else was there was um, Nathan Fletcher. So now you got a heat, you got Clay Marzo, a Ritz Kelly and Nathan Fletcher. That's a sick heat, dude. Yeah. Nathan Fletcher could catch a bomb and win the heat. No problem. Totally. It's kind of about who, who's got the balls to catch that wave. And uh, man, I mean, it's easily doable. It's not like that, that, that wave only breaks once a year. I mean, that happens, you know, this time of year it happens. Now, Another, granted, that was huge and insane and, yeah. and low tide. But, you know, there's, you know, I've been in, I've, I've been a part of events there. We, we, you know, it's doable. Another uh, person that's n worth noting was out there was young Aaron Brooks. Exactly. She was charging. And Dude, that's insane that she, like, my, she might be the Duke Onomoku. How old is she now? Like 14 or something? I think 15 now. That is, that's a gnarly wave to, to eat shit. Like, when you fall there, I, it's like 80% you're going to get scraped up. And she was, I saw one image of her and it was on a legit wave. And she didn't make it. Right? Oh, really? I don't know. I don't know. I thought I saw a video where she didn't make it, but maybe I'm I didn't. I didn't see the video, but um, the fact that she was even there, the fact that she's a young, up and coming professional surfer, and that's part of what her focus is, is being at kind of the craziest, most barreling, legit waves on the planet, is really really epic that's a really it's telling so, thing about it where says her... a lot about her dad too like her dad's like let's go to can it's it awesome i happened to be out in the mentwise and it was like oh swells here well whatever the case i think it's yeah. epic and the oh, fact that she's going is up on waves is actually insane well speaking of women surfing gnarly left-hand barrels you know of course many of us have heard the news that eric logan let it be known that the reason that they don't have the final five champion five championship day at pipeline is because of the women. And I'm going to quote Eric Logan here. He said this on a podcast called lift. Have you ever listened to lift? I've been on lift. Oh, okay. You've been on lift. So I don't know anything about it. I'm sure those two guys are good. I don't know. They're fantastic. Yeah. Um, it, Eric basically, you know, they, they were sort of painting Eric into these different corners with some tough questions about what's going on with the WSL. And again, a couple things. First of all, WSL, low-hanging fruit. Look, you and I would probably ask the same questions if Eric was on the podcast. But I will say that I think Elo does a pretty good job of at least putting himself out there. Like, I got to give Eric some credit for just going, look, I'm here. I'm the face of this thing. Let's talk. Let's have some discussion about it. Um, regardless of whether you appreciate his answers or not, um, I think a shout out to Elo for doing the right thing. Now, granted, that's kind of his job and he's supposed to do it, but there are some that would hide from that. And, um, but let's get back to the final five, the championship day for the WSL, which for the second straight year is happening at lower trestles, which I think is absolutely lame. And you and I have expressed our disgust at this, but Elo said to these two guys, and uh, I don't know their names. I bet you'd know their names. The lip. Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy and Cahill. Uh, he said to those two guys, he said, look, to be fair, people often say, hey, why don't you just do the final day at Pipeline? If I put 
the final day of pipeline, I can't do the women there. They just haven't had enough time. So kind of in my mind, that's kind of the big story here for at least our discussion. Yeah. Um, Eric did say that. I did listen to the entire interview and I've got more. I don't think that was the most telling part of the interview. I think that Eric, it's almost taken out of context the way that Derek wrote about that on Beach Grit. Oh, Eric, Eric absolutely did say that. What he was saying was, or what I believe that he was saying was, they haven't had a lot of time out there in competitions. And so to kind of put the pinnacle event, you know, where it, it determines the world champ, it almost wouldn't be fair to them because they've only surfed a few heats out there, essentially. Whereas somewhere else, like lowers, they've surfed presumably dozens and dozens of heats. And so it's just more fair. Um, but, you know, it still, it still says something like I, it still says something that he said that. And I think it's honest that he said that I bet that he would edit that out if he had the opportunity to, and he would reword it to make a kind of a little bit more pointed um, distinction with the distinction that I'm trying to make. But yeah, but I mean, it, it, it says the truth, which is whether or not they've surfed dozens of heats out there. Um, the level of surfing, there's a big disparity between the level of surfing the men are doing at pipeline and the level of surfing that the women are doing at pipeline. And it doesn't, the women's surfing doesn't execute the end goal of the WSL, which is to have drama and all of this kind of pinnacle of number one and number two coming up against one another. Yeah. Well, I think if you put Moana Jones Wong, or is it, is that how you say her last name? Yeah. If you put her in the final five of Pipeline with Carissa Moore, um, you'd have a friggin' pretty exciting heat. Um, and, okay, so the other three girls don't get through. Well, that's just giving them more time at Pipeline. That's yeah. giving them more heats at Pipeline. Yeah. And you and I both know, I think you would agree with me, that Carissa would absolutely charge Pipe, and we know that she has and will, and same with uh, Moana. So... Now, why isn't Moana in the final five? That's another discussion. But, right. you know, and that's kind of where, okay, something's wrong here. You know, like Moana Jones Wong, if you had events at Cloud Break and Chopu and G-Land and Pipeline, Moana Jones Wong would probably be in the top five. Yeah. Which is where well, you should be having events. Well, Eric, um, it's hard. It's interesting listening to him talk. Um he says a lot of words, but like a lot of marketing speak. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. That's what it is. But it's kind of like you just listen and listen and listen. And you realize he's taking you down a path that he wants to talk about, but he's not really addressing the question. And so one thing that they kind of did uh, keep coming back to a couple of times was why are you doing the final event at Trestles? And then Eric spends a bunch of time explaining that, well, you have to surf through Chopu and Pipeline and all these other great events to get to Trestles. And Trestles is a fair playing field. And so the fairness is why we want to have an event there. The guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fair. And it's a great wave to have on tour, but why are we doing the final event there? And why two years in a row? And then he goes back and he keeps talking about what he wants to talk about. Often doesn't answer the question. Um, And also like I, he does it repeatedly with every question. And I, 
I have a hard time understanding if he's being disingenuous in the way that I'm saying, he's just wanting to answer what he wants to answer, or if he completely misunderstands what those guys are asking. Like those guys are really saying pipeline has everything that you want. All the drama is inherent. You don't need to manufacture a finals day. You don't need to make sure that one and two are against one another because the best surfers will rise to the top. You don't have to worry about any of this other stuff. It solves for all of these things. And I'm wondering if Eric misses that point because Eric keeps talking about, you know, trying to create drama and control for certain variables and you can't control for the variables of the waves or whatever. So they're going to create a scenario where the stakes are elevated through this cut and through these other things. And it's like, Eric, you're missing the point. If you just ran at eight foot barreling waves, that actually inherently has everything that you're trying to manufacture, you know? Yeah. Well, look, I, I would suggest that everybody should give a listen to that, to that podcast. It sounds like it's an interesting one. Um, I love Jimmy followed up at one point and he was like, he re-asked a question and then said, and this answer doesn't need to be long. You can give a short answer to this one because <laughs> Eric just goes on for eight minutes saying stuff that honestly you lose interest in. And that, that was my other concern coming out of this is like, those guys are hardcore surf fans. I'm a hardcore surf fan and I'm losing interest in not only Eric's talking and listening to the CEO, but the events themselves, you know, it's just like, dude, you're kind of missing the point. And you're really, you have an opportunity here. I tuned into Lyft for the first time in a while for Eric and Eric made me want to turn it off, you know, and that's, that's not great. Yeah. Look, I, like I said, it's easy to, to kind of bash the WSL. I think they're doing pretty good. Like, I'm not saying it's, let perfect. me ask you this. I would say it's like a six out of 10, like a 10 would be what we, you and I both know the purple blob tour. Well, and I think it's Eric, like a six. Okay. Eric himself said, uh, they assess each event at the end to find out how successful it was. And there's three things that they look for. The first most important thing are the waves. Were the waves good? Were the waves compelling? Were the waves dramatic? The second thing are the names. Are the names is John John against Gabriel? Is Kelly Slater there? Because the names draw all the fans, right? And then number three is what were the stakes? Did it become number one and number two against one another ultimately? Did people lose in a meaningful way, you know? And so he said the stakes are something that they can control, and that's why they've re-engineered the tour. But I'm looking at his own criteria. And by the way, he uses that criteria to then talk about all of their successes. I'm looking at his own criteria, assessing it very differently than he assessed it. Look at the waves of the past four events. Crap. Look at the names. Well, the I names think, aren't showing up. First of all, let's then, talk about the waves at the past four events, because yeah. I think he's putting it within the context of Brazil. Like for He was. For he was Quarma, in Brazil when he was being It was good for Brazil, but Brazil sucks. I mean, it doesn't suck, but it's not pipe. It's not cloud break. Yeah. It's not Kandui left. It's not G-Land. It's not Chopu. You know, so when he's saying, when he's probably going down his list, he's going, let's talk about the waves in Brazil. The waves were good. And, and, and I've even been on record saying, look, it was kind of an enjoyable event watching these guys, you know, like it could have been way worse. You know, like I'm kind of looking at like, God, I'm just kind of stoked it was four foot. And that's why 
I do think he's kind of missing the point entirely of what those questions were asking, because you're right. He's at Sakurama when they're interviewing him. And he says, I think 20,000 people on the beach would disagree with you right now. Well, and it's like 20,000 people would be there if it was one foot blown out. Exactly. Just like they would in Huntington, but that's, you're not trying to sell surfing to the 20,000 people on the beach. You're trying to sell it to the millions of people on the internet. You know what I mean? So it's like, are you disingenuous just trying to say what you want to say, or are you missing their point entirely? Which is, yeah, they understand the waves are good for Sakurama. They're crappy compared to cloud break. So uh, him saying, by the way, he said the waves, the names and the stakes. And when he addresses the names, he goes like right now, You've got Tatiana Weston Webb. You've got Calum Robson. You know, those are the names people want to see. Calum just took down Gabriel Medina. And I'm going, dude, you don't even know who the names are of the people that we want to see. Tatiana doesn't have mainstream sponsors. Calum Robson doesn't have sponsors. These are indicators that they're not the names. What you want to see is Kelly Slater, who didn't show up for the event. uh, John John Florence, who's injured for the event. You know, those are the names, Eric. And so again, it feels like, saying a lot of words, creating these kind of ideals, but they're not backed up. Or he then gives some other other, uh, explanation that doesn't jive with the actual ideal that he set up. So you should listen to it. It's interesting to listen to. Yeah, I'm I'm going to listen to it. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. But speaking of bashing the WSL, um, Johnny Boy Gomes on Instagram. Did you see this? I found this on Beach Crit too, and I found it interesting. Uh, he let the WSL know a few things here. It's pretty interesting. And I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote John. Johnny Boy Gomes here. I'm speaking my mind and the truth, WSL. I can't believe I'm the first guy in surfing history to make it from the trials to win the Pipeline Masters. And still the WSL didn't even pick it as their top Pipeline Masters winners list. I'm not sure what that means. (laughs) We know the truth. I think Kelly and the WSL burned the 97 Pipeline Masters tape 
I've never asked for anything from anyone, but let's do this, WSL, a pipeline heritage heat against anyone or maybe even a wild card next year. Should we put Johnny Boy Gums in the pipe event? David Lee Scales, yes or no? Hell to the no. <laughs> um, Dude, don't, I, don't count him out. <laughs> I am counting him out. Look, I think Johnny Boy has effectively been canceled by the WSL or whoever's making those decisions. Apparently they did some best of pipe masters thing. I'm not even sure what he's talking about yeah. unless it was that series that Bill did. I think Bong it was, did. I think it was okay. That must've yeah. been what it is. Yeah. I think that first of all, the series was phenomenal. They yeah. executed it. Great. Nothing was missed by leaving Johnny boys win out. And I don't know about that. Well, dude, when in the, when in the, the first surfer to go from the trials and win the event, is pretty that's a big story so then if if story. that is so if that is true and it is a big story do you think that it is an effort to so many of his uh, run-ins with the law and his past grievances nobody wants to be associated with him anymore so yeah. all of his bad behavior yeah. they just look at it and go we're going to I, effectively I, cancel I, and not discuss this moving I'm, forward because it paints with us that. with that brush. That would not surprise me, nor would I think that that is necessarily a bad call. Yeah. And let's, um, I can give listeners a quick rundown for those who don't know. Um, but Johnny boy has, uh, been incarcerated numerous times and actually been arrested specifically for hitting people in the lineup as recently as 2015. So I know he slapped uh, Shane Herring in a, sun, in a heat at Sunset Beach. He got fined by the ASP for that. Um, two years later, he slapped Jody Cooper off of her surfboard during an altercation at Aukai. Apparently he was beating up Bud Lamas and um, she went to go defend Bud. And then Johnny directed his ire at her, slapped her off, his bo- off her board Everybody else in the water bolted, did not come to Jody's aid. And then she said for two years after that, he had bullied her. He saw her and at 7-Eleven, he told her he was going to kill her and just kind of attacked her, Every verbally attacked her and intimidated her every time that she saw him after that until it got to the point where she just put her hands up and said, hey, what are you going to do? Stab and kill me? Go for it because I've had enough of this intimidation. And then he backed down and never did anything again. But in this two, is interesting. I mean, go ahead. But I, I've yeah, got a great then, story. Um, in 1999, he was arrested for dunking somebody and assaulting them at Chun's Reef. In 2015, same thing at, uh, I think, somewhere on the South Shore, like yeah. Waikiki or something. So this isn't isolated incidents. This is a long pattern of behavior yeah. from the time he was a teenager. And I think the WSL is making a decision to not include him in future conversations. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. Um, let me tell you a little story because what I found interesting is that Jody finally just said, I've had enough. And yeah. Johnny Boy backed down like most bullies, right? So, yeah. oh, and by the way, Jamie O'Brien, I think Jamie O'Brien, after Johnny Boy, I think Jamie O'Brien, the year was 2004. And I believe Jamie O'Brien won the Pipe Masters from the trials. I know he won the Pipeline Masters. I don't know if he was seated in because he was riding for Rip Curl then. He might have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. He might have had a sponsor's exemption or he might have won the trials. I'm not sure. I don't know. But the year was 2004. 
And I'll tell you this about Johnny Boy Gomes and Jamie O'Brien. I saw them go toe to toe in Jamie's front yard on the beach at Pipeline. And it was during the Pipeline Masters. There was a bunch of tension in the air, as I recall here. Um, Jamie, well, so some backstory. Jamie and his father, Mick O'Brien, were kind enough to let me set up my camera and shoot photos all day long from their beachfront deck there right on the beach at Pipe. And I did this for a number of years and, and uh, Mick and I became good friends. And um, again, they were kind enough to let me have that access. So I had front row to all of the action. The year Jamie won the event, I was right there. And Johnny Boy Gomes and Jamie had just surfed a heat together during that Pipeline Masters. I think it was a four-man heat. Jamie for sure got through. I don't know if Johnny Boy Gomes got through the heat or not. He may have, I kind of don't recall. But I do know that Johnny Boy Gomes was not happy. And um, I'm guessing that over the years, Johnny Boy probably had some resentment building with Jamie because Jamie was like the new kind of like the heir to the throne at Pipeline. And this was something that Johnny Boy sort of prided himself on in the media in the in the 90s, sort of went Johnny Boy's the guy, you know, like. And um, so I think there was some built up resentment, maybe years of it against Jamie, but I can't really speak for Johnny Boy. But. Johnny Boy walks up to Jamie O'Brien's front yard. He's looking for Jamie. He still has his heat jersey on. And Jamie was like in the shower, outside shower, rinsing off or something. And I remember Mick O'Brien kind of like seeing this thing unfold. You know, he sees Johnny Boy walking up and, and Johnny Boy's like spitting fire. Like he just looks pissed. Like I'm like taking pictures going, oh shit, something's going to go down. And there's a lot of people in the yard too. Like, you know, it was the pipe masters. There's like 20 people there. And everybody kind of went and got quiet, you know, like shit was going to happen. And I remember Mick called out for Jamie and Jamie like walked up and sees basically Johnny boy in his yard and everyone kind of going, what's going to go down here. And Johnny boy, um, they basically Johnny boy and Jamie basically just stand toe to toe, nose to nose, you know? And I remember Jamie was, he's probably six two, you know, and he's kind of looking down on Johnny boy, but they're both really close, like this close. And Jamie's just standing there with his fist kind of clenched, um, you know, by his side. And, and Johnny Boy just starts spitting out all sorts of spew about this and that and the waves. And I, I wasn't really close enough to kind of understand what was going down. But Johnny Boy's laying into him verbally. And um, I think it might have been about a wave during the heat. But Jamie just stood there, you know, like eye to eye with Johnny Boy, not looking down, not looking away, not cowering at all. And that's what I remember was so vivid to me that, that Jamie was not backing away. And basically, from my perspective, um, look, they were it, it was kind of like they were about somebody was about to throw blows, but nobody did. You know, and right. they both kind of had their hands by their side. But Jamie didn't back down to Johnny Boy. And, and I remember it kind of, you know. My sense of it was. Jamie stood his ground and I don't think he really ever said anything to Johnny boy the whole time. He just didn't back down. Right. And he took the verbal assault. Johnny boy eventually walked away. And I think it was a real moment for Jamie O'Brien. And, you know, it was almost like the last hurdle for Jamie. He had to, he, he knew pipeline inside and out. He was undoubtedly the best surfer at pipeline during this era. And the last hurdle was really him kind of looking you know, staring down Johnny boy and going, I'm not going to be bullied much the way Jody Cooper did. And that's right. all it took for Johnny to kind of turn and walk away. And I think it would be interesting to hear Jamie O'Brien's version of this story. 
Now he might blow it off as like, no big deal. That's, I don't even remember what happened. Who knows, you know, but right. from my journalistic perspective, I remember thinking, wow, you know, Jamie's going to win this event because it's kind of like the last monkey off his back. He got rid of the bully from the West side. Pipeline is truly now his canvas to, to paint his art. And Jamie went out there and did it. And it was a glorious win for him. It's a great story. Um, imagine the feeling you would feel if you were Mick in that scenario. Like, do you get involved? Do you no, let no, your no. son L- sort it tell out? You what, no, believe me, Mick was like, it's time for Jamie to face this. Like Mick was just like, this needs to happen. It was, and the way Jamie came out from the shower and just immediately knew what he had to do. Like he didn't look around and goes, what's going on? He saw Johnny boy in the yard and immediately walked up to Johnny boy and went toe to toe. Like it was like, if you're in my yard and we just had some situation in the water, I'm not backing down. And Mick, again, I'd like to hear their perspective, but my perspective yeah. on it was that Mick was like, time to become a man, son, go face this thing. And, right. and Jamie did. Jamie totally stepped up. That's fascinating. Um, I'm going to play a call for you. That'll segue as we're talking about competitive surfing segue into a quick conversation about Jay Bay as we get ready for it. <laughs> Aloha, David and Mr. Scott Bass. This is Chris from Florida calling in regards to the one and only white chocolate, Jordy Smith. Is Jay Bay his last chance at glory? I mean, let's be honest. It's uh, not been a good year for Jordy. He's in a bit of a in a decline tumble right now is this his glory moment he goes home wins jay bay and and rides out into the sunset like kelly should have done at pipe anyway boys discuss i know jordy's won other contests he's done well at other locations but i think jay bay might be it for him all right keep up the work first of all is white chocolate his nickname <laughs> I don't know, but if it isn't, it is now. That's a wonderful <laughs> nickname for him. New to me, but I'm in. White chocolate. What does that even mean? I have no idea. That's a good one. I'm down with the white chocolate. Um, okay, well, you go ahead and take this and then I'll follow. So interestingly, the WSL posted a video showing all the 10-point rides of the last five years. And I think Jordy had the most of them. You know, Felipe had a couple that are very, very notable and almost stand out more than Jordy's. But Jordy's, you look at his surfing out there and you're like, dude, this guy is the guy to be out there. Um, he's got everything. That wave's all about pacing. And he's got the pacing sorted out more than anybody. And then, of course, he's got the car, the power surfing and um, the brute strength that so many surfers, including Felipe Toledo, don't have. So the question just comes to... Is he past his prime? Does he deliver on his potential and all that? And he's burned us a million times before, but I am going to put my money on him for this event because I think that our listener is touching on something, which is this is really his last chance for one big kind of showing and he's going to do it at his hometown. That's my bet. Yeah, I like this. I, I like what he's saying. I like what you're saying. I could see this happening. Is it his last hurrah? Will he ride off into the sunset? No. I mean, he's qualified for another year on tour. You know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't you just keep on, like, cashing the checks from O'Neill or whoever it is and keep the thing going, even if you're going to slowly fade off into 15th 
17th, 20th place. Um, yeah. You know, in a weird way, you know, you could, you could almost see Jordy having a good year next year. And I'll tell you why. And, and this, of course, might not occur. But my sense is that Jordy is so under the radar now that he, he could have a, you know, and a showing at pipe, a good showing at sunset beach, you know, like all of a sudden things could happen for, for Jordy. I know it's a long shot. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I know it's a long shot, but my point is, is that I think he does better when he's under the radar. Yeah. It's not good when there's a bullseye on Jordy's back. It's way better when people don't even think about him. And you're like, Oh yeah, he's in the semis again. Oh, he's in the semis again. He's fucking surfing really powerfully. I've never seen him surf so loose and relaxed. It's when he gets tense, like all of us, that things go haywire for Jordy. And um, I don't think this is his last hurrah. I could see him winning it. I don't see him saying, that's it, I hang it up. I see, um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't see Jordy really putting together a string of events and putting together a season or anything like that. I see him having one solid event, maybe even one win in his, under his belt. And this is going to be it. This is going to be his big push right here at J Bay. It'll bode well for him if the waves are good and if the forecast is good. But uh, yeah, that's my bet. Um, the f- event starts on the 12th. So I just looked at the seven day forecast and it looks like the first day or two are pretty small, two to three feet. I have no idea what's to come after that. We could discuss it next week. But um, do you have any expectations for anybody or any comments on the event? No, I, I think what's going to happen is the, the standard guys are going to rise to the top and there might be an, you know, an exception or some outlier like a Caleb Robson, but we're going to see Felipe doing great surfing incredibly. Um, Jordy will probably be right there. Uh, You know, I, I guess John John's out, right? Yeah. I think if the waves are good, it's a different conversation than if the waves aren't good. And if the waves are good, Kelly Slater will make a charge up the rankings. Jordy Smith has a go. If the waves aren't good, or regardless of forecast, I would say, Maddie McGillivray, I think is yeah. someone who would be an underdog that you would expect to do well, or an underdog on the rankings, but he's that's his hometown. Yeah. He would do well there. I could see Caleb Robson. He's proven himself, certainly at Bells, but then again at Rio. Um, right-handers are kind of his thing. And so I could see him doing well there. I would expect this to be really big opportunity for Kiowa belly, uh, Sammy. Yeah. Ethan, who's already in the top five. I think he will capitalize. I think Sammy Pupo, Baron Mamiya, Jackson Baker are all guys who could make a big surge up the rankings. So, so the, the one name that you didn't bring up, which is the, to me, like a fascinating story here is Idolo. I think Idolo is going to have an early loss. And that would not surprise me like why am i not surprised by that you know i think I mean? that'll be like, the big shocker yeah if he is he the guy that drops out of the top five possibly i hope not that's yeah. the guy you want at lowers yeah well we'll check mark my words but i don't know why i feel that way i can't really justify it i just feel feel that way it seems like he's a little like he's just not quite as liberated as he was now that he's got the smoking hot Brazilian supermodel chick <laughs> that he's building the house for. Exactly. <laughs> um, my Duke, 
is Surfline for their coverage of this last Indo swell. I think Surfline's kind of been killing it lately. And the way that they kind of cover it to the minute and say, come back tomorrow, there'll be more tomorrow. And then tomorrow they've got a story. They've got writers, they've got photographers, they've got video of it. I think they're, they're the Duke. They're killing it. Yeah, I would agree. When there's a big swell event, that's kind of their MO is to be on it and to explain it and to have, have coverage of it. And so I would agree with you. That's a good call. Yeah. And I did say Eretz Aramburu was my Duke earlier, but I'm changing that. He gets the must-see moment. Surfline gets the Duke. Boom. I, I think Aaron Brooks is my Duke. She's yeah. incredible. I mean, that, I mean, to get that experience to Kandui when you're 14 or 15, when she's 20 and she surfed there five times or six times, she's probably going to go to the Mentwise every season. She's going to be something. Unless she becomes a veterinarian and becomes a doctor or something smart. And when they're doing events at Pipe for the women, she'll already exactly. be prepped for that, you know? So exactly. she's killing it for sure. Yep. All right, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. Look, until next time, everybody. Adios and aloha. Johnny Thunder lives on water, feeds on Johnny Thunder don't need no one, don't want money. And all the people of the town, they can't get through to Johnny, they will never ever break him down. Johnny Thunder speaks for no one, goes on the Sweet Helena just says, God bless Johnny.